Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. First Peter, chapter 1. And tonight there's... Uh, some important things that Peter starts to share, and then um, kind of some heavy things that we're going to talk about. But I think that the heavy things are important. You know, so many times it's hard words from God that actually make soft hearts. You know, it's when the parent says, hey, you need to straighten up that hopefully, at the times when the kid says, okay, I need to straighten up. You know, it's when there's that discipline or those things that are difficult to understand, they're for a reason, and it really is to soften our heart to him and to all that is happening um, in us. Um, You guys are are late, so you got to sit right here in the front. No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Make make yourselves comfortable wherever. So anyway, let's read from 1 Peter. We're actually in chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, speaking of Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but, wait, so the honor is for you who believe, But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not rece- you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As Peter is writing, I want us to recognize, first of all, when it says, as you come to him, to remember that the you is not speaking of you individually, it's speaking of you collectively. And we can see that by some of the terms that he used where he says, you yourselves is plural, uh, like living stones is plural. And so what he is saying is directly applicable to us, but it's about something much bigger than just us individually, that we are connected to something more. And this is such an important part of our faith. You know, here Peter is using the terms uh, of stones, this living stones where we are being built up on Christ. Paul uses the image of a body. You are the body of Christ and there are many members that make up this body, but it's about the body. It's about what the stones are building. It's not about you individually. It's about what is happening with us collectively. And I think if we understood this more, it would transform how we live because we, especially in Western world, live so individualistic lives. It's all about my stuff, my things. I mean, we've talked about this so many times. Even a few years ago, we went through that uh, that book for, what was the name of that Alan Hirsch book right here right now, was it? Um, where we t- he talks about how, you know, years ago you would have six people living in a 1,300 square foot house, <laughs> right? I mean, some of you can remember that. You- <laughs> well, we keep adding people, so who knows? But, you know, there would be a lot of people in a small space, and now families have one child and they have 2,500 square foot homes. And now they, in some suburban cities, they don't even have sidewalks because you don't really play in your neighborhood. You go somewhere if you're going to interact and you lived in gated communities and we're so isolated in so many ways. We want our own space. Many of us don't know our neighbors. We don't interact with them the way things used to be because we keep isolating ourselves. And if we had this mentality of you being more than just me, it could actually change how we see we. It would start involving us maybe in life bigger than ourselves. And Peter uses this illustration of the building stones. And he says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. A spiritual house he's talking about as a temple. You're being built up in the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
when you hear someone saying these things about us, and so that's about all of us here. It's not just a few people or the people in leadership are being made, living stones being built up into this you know, spiritual house and are a holy priesthood. It's about all of us. And the idea of a priest and what a priest is to the Jewish people, it's something that is very significant. Uh, a priest has access to God. A, a priest is someone who represents God to the people. Uh, a priest is someone who um, is able to offer sacrifice. Here it's spiritual sacrifice. It, it, a priest is in relationship with God. Do you see yourself in that role? Because Peter is saying, you are. You see, Christ has brought us into this family, into the significance of what he is doing, and now we, the you that he's talking about here, are the living stones being built up. We are this royal priesthood. And, and so it's something that is going to challenge us. And it's important that we see how he's trying to challenge us. What, what are the sacrifices or the offerings of sacrifice that we can give now? Well, we can give praise, we can give worship, we can give services to help those in need or those in our community. We can... Uh, give of our finances. There are a lot of ways where we can worship God, but most importantly, it's a matter of life. It's not segmented. Okay, here is my worship and then here's my life. No, your life is now a form of worship. And so all these different areas become opportunities to sacrifice to God. In other words, to, to please God, to, to be brought into this place with God. See, you sacrifice to God when you help that person who's in need. You sacrifice to God when you give of yourself and, and worship or prayer to him. That's a sacrifice of praise to God. That's something that you can do that is seen as even as the priest would take an offering to God, you are now offering of your life to God. And you see, that's one thing about this faith is it's meant to seep in to all these areas of our life. It's meant to, to be very deep within us. That way it affects all of us, all of who we are, not all of us. I'm doing a, a new type of training with dogs. It's a low-intensity e-collar training. And it's really amazing. What it's doing is when you're working with the dog and you work with the e-collar, when the dog starts to, say, pull on the leash or start to go after another dog, starts to do something you don't like, you give him a continuous correction, but it's very subtle. You find the level where the dog just feels it. And it's like, what's that? You just see the dog kind of like, okay, I feel this on my neck. What is that? And that's where you start. It's low level. It's kind of like when you've got a piece of sand in your shoe, it's really small, right? But man, does it like annoy you? It's just like, ah, you're sitting there shaking it, trying to get it to, you know, your archway or something where it won't bother you so much. 
it just, you can't ignore it. It's kind of persistent. And so the whole idea here is now when the dog starts to want to go after that, you give him a constant correction. And as soon as he turns away, because you help guide him away, then the pressure stops. And it's like, oh, okay, this is good. Every time I do this, ah, it's just annoying. Oh, this is good. So it's not traumatic. It's not severe. They're not shock collars anymore. E-collars different than shock collars. It's not like you have one, two, and three sh- settings. You know, there's like jolt, super jolt, and you know, mega jolt. It's a low intensity thing where the dog barely feels it. You could hold it in your hand and press it, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, it's kind of just you feel it. It almost tingles." But what starts to happen is every time the dog goes this way, it gets this irk and it says, no, I don't want to do that anymore. And because it's low intensity and not traumatic, the dog, it's almost like the movie Inception. You're kind of putting in the dog's mind, that isn't the dog you want to go for. Okay, I'll leave that dog over here. You know, I'm just going to move to this place. That was Star Wars, actually. But the whole idea here is that it becomes a part of this dog's way of thinking. And you see, the same thing is supposed to be happening with us. We are a part of something bigger. You are royal priesthood. You are living stones, a part of this temple that God is building. And you're offering sacrifice to the Lord in the way you live, in every area of your life. The word stone is used six times in these five verses. And there's even the word rock thrown in just for good measure as well. There was a long-standing tradition that spoke about the temple being built on the rock, on the cornerstone. And if they would find the right cornerstone, it would go on to allow them to fully build the temple, which would usher in God's return. And so think about this in the Hebrew mind, the cornerstone is stone that we need to get set so that we can build the temple because that starts to usher in this ability for God to come in. And now here comes Christ, the significance that he is that stone. And there's a lot of word association. The word stone is the word aben, E-B-E-N. The word son is the word ben. Ben's not here, but I was going to say, did you know your word means son? That's what the word son is in Hebrew. It's ben. But the word stone is eben. And so there's a play on words. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is telling a story about the landowner who lets some people stay in his vineyard. And they start taking over and they send servants and they beat the servants and they mistreat them. So he says, I will send my Ben there instead, thinking they'll respect him. And so when he sends Ben, his son, there, they end up killing him. And then Jesus concludes the story by saying actually what he says here, the stone, the Ben that they rejected. You see, they killed Ben, they rejected Ben. Jesus, the son, is the stone. And, and so these words are really brought together in a significant way to try and bring about a correlation in our minds or the minds that he's writing there about this story of the temple and the necessity for the temple, that is the presence of God, is now taken care of in Christ 
and in you. You are the living stones that are being built up, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. What does he mean by through Jesus Christ? It's important that we recognize that what God is doing through Jesus is now happening in us. In other words, the work of Jesus is now continuing in us, but it first went through Jesus. In other words, Jesus was the foundation that had to be laid so that we could be built on something stable. We are dependent on this foundation. We need this to be able to have the ability to be a part in a deep way of what God is doing. And he's going to talk about this even a little bit more, but it's really important that we see that this begins with that foundation, with this stone that we are being built upon, because that is who we are connected to. There is another promise in Jesus's day, a promise that was well circulated, and it was basically from Second Samuel that God promised David that his son would build the temple in Jerusalem and that the son of David would actually be the son of God himself. That was why it was so important that he came from the lineage of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 14, it says, when your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your father, speaking to David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So this was promised to David, and they knew this. This is in their scriptures. And so for them, the idea of building the temple is establishing when David's heir, his offspring, can reign because it was going to be his son who built the temple. And what Peter is saying, and Paul has said it as well, Jesus is the son, and we are the temple. What God had promised is being fulfilled through Christ and in you. All of us. This may make you feel a little bit uneasy because a lot of responsibility is now being trusted in you. At least you should think so, because it is. You ever have those things? You know people who just don't like responsibility? You know, I don't want to make decisions. Tell me what to do, and that way I can blame you if it goes wrong. 
Right? Kids are notorious. I, I only did what she said to do it. He told me to do that. Well, you said to do this. And it's like, I just need someone to blame so I don't have to be responsible. But you see, you are living stones. You are part of this new temple. You are responsible for your part in the work of God. And if that doesn't freak you out, I don't know what will. My point isn't to freak you out. It's to awaken us. It's to challenge us. It's to see that your life has more potential and purpose than you ever imagined, than I ever dreamed of, that you are a part of something that is huge and that is meaningful. And it's bigger than a local church. And it's bigger than just things that you believe. This is something, even as we said earlier, angels have wanted to lean in and understand what it is that we are now a part of. And that's where we find ourselves. And so David's son was supposed to be on the the throne. The royal son of God will build the temple. That's what they were believing. That's what Samuel said. And he continues this thought even in Isaiah where he says in verse six, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. I love that he uses that word precious. He uses it a couple of times here because he wants us to see the value. This cornerstone, it's chosen and it's precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, the cornerstone is what's necessary so that that building, that their building is straight. The cornerstone, they would spend uh, exacting time to make sure that it was, you know, just true. That it was a full, you know, 90 degrees if they were going to build it in that way. That that way they know whatever they built off to the sides, it was going to be true. Whatever they built on top of it was going to be true. It all started with this one spot. If you ever do drafting, they usually have one point that you have to focus on. Because this is your go-to point, especially if you're doing kind of dimensional things. You have to go back to this one spot, otherwise it gets all, you know... MCS, it gets kind of weird. And so the whole idea here is Jesus is true. He is that that we build our lives upon, but he's also precious. What's precious to you? Maybe your kids. I do a lot of dog training. A lot of people's dogs are precious to them more than their kids sometimes. I mean, what is it that you look at and say, man, this is just precious? Sometimes, you know, it's like, oh boy, there's a new, you know, episode on Netflix, a new series, that's precious. You know, I can't wait to see it. I mentioned Netflix a lot huh, last week too. I got a problem. I confess it to you. Um, <laughs> that's right. I got to go to Netflix. That's right. My DVR is taken with cartoons. So what am I supposed to do? But what is precious to you? And then, truthfully ask yourself, is Jesus precious to you? And if he is, do you live like he is? And if he isn't, 
think of why it has taken place in your life. Why isn't he precious? What's going on that's making his value less than what? What else? Because this cornerstone, it's chosen and it's precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. God's promise to send his son and his promise to build his house where he will come and live forever are stitched together in this passage that Peter is talking about. For Peter, it's obviously Jesus himself. He is the stone. The new temple is already being built upon him. And you see, Peter is indicating because Jesus didn't fit in their plans, it says that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He didn't fit into their plans what they wanted. And so they cast it aside. God has shown him to be the most important stone in the whole building. The one who wouldn't fit anywhere else because the only place he would fit is in the most important place. And you see, I think that's what's true of our life. The only place that Jesus will fit in our life is if he's in the most important place. He's not gonna fit in a secondary position. Jesus said, if you love mother, brother, sisters more than me, you're not worthy of me. Why, is he just wanting to be selfish? No, because if I'm not in the right place in your life, then you don't recognize my importance. You don't recognize that I am that cornerstone. And so he is not only the cornerstone that is talked about for the building of the temple, he should be that cornerstone of our lives, that we would build our lives on him. He doesn't fit anywhere else. He won't accept anywhere else because it's not going to fit. And so they rejected him because he didn't fit in with their thinking. I want a Messiah who's going to deliver us from Rome. What are your requirements? I want a Messiah who's going to get me a husband, right? Or I want a Messiah who's going to get me that job or get me this. And pretty soon it's not a Messiah we want, it's a genie. And he doesn't fit there. He only fits in the place where he is the most important thing because he is precious. And it all means that Peter can address this whole group of people, whether it's Jews, whether it's Gentiles, all these people, as you guys are now part of what God has been talking about all along. Remember, that's what he talked about in chapter one. This isn't new. This is God's plan and it has been his plan And we need to recognize that. If we believe this and if we trust in him, he says we will not be put to shame. Shame means a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. If you trust your life to Jesus, if you see yourself as a part of his work, you will not be put to shame. It will not be foolish. People might think you're foolish. You're wasting your life. But it's not foolish to invest your life on what is foundational. 
we look at it and we think, oh man, it's so difficult. You know, Peter doesn't know what it's like to, to be a follower of Jesus in Upland in 2016. It's so hard. No, it was harder then. They were losing property family lives because of their belief in Jesus. And Peter is assuring them, it's not foolish. Even though it's costing you so much, it's not foolish. And here's the amazing thing. The reason Christianity exploded at a time of intense persecution is because the living stones were not ashamed. They did not think it foolish. They lived it. And it lived through them. Wow. How powerful is that, that we can be a part of that? You see, all that God had been talking about through the prophets is now fulfilled, is accomplished in Jesus and in us. Which is where he goes on into this other passage in verse eight. You know, this is all so cool, but then there's this other portion where it's like, okay, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for those who reject him. It's like, couldn't we just stay on the good stuff? Why'd you have to go to those who reject you? You know, it's kind of like the bait and switch. You go to church, you hear God loves you, and then all of a sudden he throws this, oh yeah, and by the way, if you reject God... But it's really important, again, just as I said in the beginning, sometimes the hard words of God are the things that actually bring about a soft heart. And so, first of all, we need to remember this isn't talking just to individuals, it's talking to a group of people. And he says in verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now that's the weird part of it. They were destined to do. Because you start thinking, what do you mean they were destined to do? I thought God loved the world. You know, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so let's go to John 3.16 because I think it actually talks about that. I want to try and frame this as clearly as I can. John 3, starting at verse 16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And it's like, yes, I like this. This is all good stuff. But notice verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. St. Augustine said that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him that our lives are really in turmoil until they come to the place where they have a foundation that is true. And so this idea of stumbling, 
where we think of it as a bad thing that they were destined to do is really the result of all of our lives. We, we all stand condemned already. We all come to a place where we see where I am is not where I should be. The first step and celebrate recovery, or in the Alcoholics Anonymous in the 12-step program, we admitted that we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, that our lives had become unmanageable. You see, that's the stumbling. That's where we are. That's the condemnation that we live in, is my life is not altogether. My life needs help, and I am not the one who can make it right. I need intervention beyond myself to become who I need to be. And so this stone that is immovable becomes a stumbling block when we're trying to live our lives however we want away from it. And maybe you've experienced this. I've experienced it in my life. I've experienced it before I came to Christ, and I've experienced it after I came to Christ. Because there's still times where I kind of want to live my own life. I don't know about you guys. Uh, if that's true for you, if I'm the only one, maybe I should step down. Someone else can take the pastor role. But there are times where it's just, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and my life becomes unmanageable. And I come to a place where I have stumbled, and I have fallen, and I recognize it. You see, it's like we're living our lives, and our life is this ship, and we're sailing along, and we're doing whatever we want. Okay? We're in disregard of who God is or what God might desire for our lives. It's all about this self-satisfaction. And so we indulge in whatever. You can fill in the blanks. I, I don't need to fill those blanks in. Your mind has already gone there. You indulge in these things and it's like, I can do this, I can do this. And hey, there's nothing wrong with this. And all of a sudden you hit a rock the immovable rock, the ship hits the rock, there's a screeching, there's a crashing, you face plant right onto the deck of the boat and the water's coming in and it's Titanic and you're sinking and you're going down. You see, it's at that place where you realize that my life was not very stable. This is what I was destined for if I was going to live my life apart from this cornerstone, it was going to be this disaster. That is what happens when we are confronted with Christ. It also confronts us with our lack, with our need, with our inability. And that's why this is through Jesus it's not through you. It's not through the church. It's not through a person other than Christ. But we come to this place where it's through Christ that now we get the strength. We see ourselves clearly. And now we can get onto the rock instead of the ship that's sinking. Now we can build our lives on a foundation. And then Jesus tells the story of the people who build their life on the rock and the build their life on the sand. And when the storms come, the sand washes out and great is the ruin. He's telling it to people who are going to go through intense persecution. He's telling this to people who are going to suffer and lose their lives for this. 
and are going to change the world. Because it is the rock. Because it does stand. And you see, it's not our job to push people into the rock, right? You got to get your life right here, crash. I don't need to try and steer the rudder so that people crash into the rock. I'll let them do that driving and let God take care of that part. I can tell them there's a rock, but I'm not going to try and exploit it. We all know what that looks like, right? Or you're being pushy, trying to condense someone where Jesus said, I've not come to condemn the world. See, it's not our job to condemn people. They're condemned already. We're here to help them see that there is a rock you can get onto when your ship goes down. We can warn them, you're headed for it. It's going to hurt and water's going to come in and you're going to go down, but it is there. That is what it means where they were destined to. That is the destiny of everyone who wants to live their life as their own captain, apart from the reality of Jesus, apart from the reality of God, apart from the necessity to understand their own weakness. That is the destiny. And so I believe that that's what he's talking about there. But he doesn't leave it there. He goes, but you are a chosen race. Again, that would mean a lot to them because Israel thought they were a chosen race. But now he's talking to Jews and the rest of the world, saying, you're a chosen race. We're a chosen race. Yeah, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he brings it home. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have been brought into this new family in Christ. This new destiny, if you will, in Christ. This new purpose. You are his possession. How does that make you feel? I don't like being anybody's possession, right? Kind of, I don't know about you guys, like, yeah, you're the possession of God. Like, well, I want to be my own man. I don't want to be possessed by, you know, owned by anybody. But think about it. The things you give yourself over to have the ability to actually influence you more. See, in a real sense, I'm my wife's possession. I'm married to her. I'm in an agreement and a covenant with her. So she has the rights to me. She shakes her head. (laughs) Am I better or worse for that? Well, I guess it depends on her to some extent, right? Well, I can tell you I'm better, and vice versa. You see, if you're the possession of something, 
it has a say on your life. If you're not the possession of Jesus, then what are you the possession of? Yourself? Again, that whole idea that I realize that my life is unmanageable, that I am unable to deal with these things. Do you want to be in charge and responsible? Or do you want Jesus to be? Is it your friends? Is it people? Is it the world? Is it living for self? What possesses you? What owns you? And here he's saying that you are his possession. And if we would realize it, just like if I am going to devote myself to my marriage, I'll have a better life than if I were to go around, you know, cheating on her and, you know, gallivanting around. I don't know why I use that word gallivanting. I never really like, who uses the word gallivanting? If I were to do that, I would have a miserable life. I'd be estranged from my children. I'd be sleeping in my truck. You know, I'd just be miserable. It's to my benefit that I am seeing myself in that relationship. How does it make you feel to hear that you are the possession of Christ? But not only are you the possession, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I still remember when I became a follower of Jesus, and I've shared these stories over and over again. I didn't know much about Christianity. As I told you, I think one time, I would quote movie lyrics. That's how much I knew about Jesus. You know, I knew Jesus Christ Superstar, the movie, the play, and so that's how I would relate to people. Well, Jesus said, he didn't say that. That was a movie, you know. Oh, okay. Well, that was my knowledge of this. I, I didn't have a whole lot of history in church. But something happened when I made a decision to say, yeah, I, I need you in my life and I want you in my life. And, and I can't explain it as far as I did something different. I think God did something different. But what I remember most is having hope and having an the emptiness that used to haunt me being gone. I don't know how else to explain it. Where it's like, I don't know what this is about. I don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, my life had purpose. I didn't know it all. I didn't have it all figured out. But that nagging haunting was gone. And I was pretty amazed by that because I tried a lot of things to get rid of it, mostly drugs and stuff. And so I wanted to tell people because this is pretty cool. And I can remember, you know, I played guitar back then and I was in high school and we would go from school to one of my friend's houses in Santa Monica and we'd get in his room and we'd jam and we'd smoke pot and we'd play guitar and have fun, eat and stuff. Because that's what you do. Anyway, I remember one time going back there and someone had given me one of those Christian stickers, you know, that has a little fish 
the little ichthus, you know? And so I thought, yeah, I got a, my sticker because I was excited about this whole thing. And so I was there jamming with my friends and I was still getting high at the time with them. And I was playing. And then one of the guys said, it was so strange. The guy says, you know what, man? So many of these stupid Christians, they're around. I just hate them. They started mocking all these Christians. I'm like, oh, wow, man. I never... And what are they all bummed about? You know, it's not my experience. I think this is great. And then right after he said that, he goes, hey, man, what's that fish on your guitar case? And I was like, oh, wow. And I go, well, that means Jesus Christ, God's son, my savior. I became a Christian. And, you know, it was one of those, like, awkward, you know, okay, what's going on here? And at that point, I remember I had no problem saying that. I had no problem saying I belong to Jesus because I had no problem explaining what had happened to me. You see, I'd rather have what I have here, even though I'm just new at this, than what I had before. And so I don't care if I tell you, even though you just said, oh, Christians are stupid. It's like, well, yeah, I'm one of them now. And, and you see, there was a time when I would have felt the same way. I would have walked into a church and I go, man, this is so square, because that's the language I used back then. You know, this is so, I can't believe these people. Man, I just don't feel at home here because I didn't until he became my home. And then my home was with him wherever he was. So I could be home at a church in Haiti where they're singing in Creole and I don't understand a thing that's going on or even in Mexico or wherever, even when they're dressed different than me, even when they do things differently, I still have something in common that's more important than all the things that I don't have in common. And so my challenge to us Do you see yourself as a part of a bigger picture? Do you see who you are as a follower of Jesus? Because until we own who we are, we will not make the significance. We will not be able to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us from darkness to light until we recognize that that's what's happened. And I pray that we do recognize that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you have done in me and what you're doing in me. And I thank you for including me into something other than myself and bigger than myself. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to see the importance that we play into this building, this spiritual building that is taking place, your church. Lord, may we be excited about that. May we, like the first century, allow it to truly change us. May we truly see ourselves connected to each other and connected to you in a very dynamic and powerful way so that it will produce excellent things for you. May you be precious to us. May we see if that is true or not in our own lives and own what is happening. And if we desire, Lord, to have more and a deeper relationship and commitment to you, Lord, you already desire that for us. May we step into that 
and trust you. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.